in your Bibles, please turn to Romans, because we are starting our Romans uh, series this morning. Uh, we are going to take a journey through the book of Romans. We are going to take a very broad look at Romans. We are not going to dig in real deep. In fact, preparing for this sermon was a little, um, it was great, but at the same time it was difficult because the section that I get to cover this morning is the first three chapters, and you could spend weeks in just the first three chapters of Romans. I don't know how many times I was reading and studying and looking at Romans and having these trails of Scripture that I'm like, oh, I need to cover this. And I'm like, I don't have time to cover this. Uh, so I encourage you, if you have not started already, as we go through this sermon series, be reading and studying in Romans. Right? If you go back this week and read the first three chapters, prepare yourself and read forward and read the next chapters as we go through this together and we look at Romans. So what I want to do as we begin is, is let's start with an introduction. A little introduction of Rome, uh, the church in Rome. So we're kind of on the same page here of, of who Paul's talking to. And this is kind of some of the, I want to go through this kind of quickly because I have something uh, important, like an illustration I want us to do at the end of this. So I want to not waste a lot of time. So I might be going through this kind of fast. There might be some moments when you're like, wow, I wish we would have uh, dug a little deeper into that. Uh, bear with me because, like I said, we got to get through some stuff this morning and, and then uh, kind of look at the, the challenge or the, the way that we can apply this to our lives. So, introduction, the origin of the church in Rome. What I love about the church in Rome, uh, when, you, when you read Paul's letter to the church in Rome, one of the things that comes out when you read the first couple of verses is that Paul's writing to a church that, honestly, we don't know where its real origins come from. We have speculations. You know, there's a lot of churches in the, Old or in the New Testament when the church was expanding. We knew where they came from. Like, Paul went there, and Paul preached, and God moved, and the, and the church was birthed in these cities. Rome's kind of one of those that we don't have this it's saying in the Bible that Paul went there and started it. We don't have it saying that Peter went there and started it. We don't have that. So there's some speculation on what are the origins of the church in Rome. One of the most likely origins of this church is that, uh, go back to Acts, when you have Pentecost, and you have this moment where all these people are crowded in the city in Jerusalem, and the Spirit of God falls upon the church, and, and, the, and the Bible says that 3,000 came to know Jesus that day, and the church just exploded. Well, here's the deal. There were Jews that were present in Rome, or in Jerusalem, from all over the world, the known world. So it's a really good possibility. You had Jewish believers that were there for uh, this festival that were there from Rome. If not from Rome, they were from a place closer to Rome than Jerusalem. So uh, one of the, the theories is, is that when Pentecost happened and all of these people from different parts of the world came to believe in Jesus, there came a moment where they all went back home. And when they went back home, they took their faith with them. So you have these pilgrims that left Jerusalem at some point in time, and as they traveled home, they shared with people the message of Jesus. Can I, can I challenge us with something real quick that I love about this reality that people were taking the message of Jesus? They had no formal training whatsoever, but they were spreading the gospel. And, and can, I, can I encourage us with something? Many times we fall into this trap, like I can't tell people about Jesus because I don't know enough. These people didn't know anything other than... Jesus was the son of God. He died on the cross. He rose again, and we need to follow him. 
because he's the way to get us to the Father. He's the way to get us to God. So I love this, that the church expanded by people that had no formal training whatsoever. They, they had no, they didn't memorize, you know, the scripture. They couldn't quote Romans Roads because it didn't even exist yet. But yet they were spreading the gospel and they were telling people. And then if you look at, you look at the history of, of Acts, it tells us there, there came a time where persecution broke out in Jerusalem towards the church. And that everybody had to leave Jerusalem except for the apostles. Everybody else left and they took off. So there's a good possibility that you have these, these Christians that left after Pentecost and they went back to their home and they went back to Rome and they started telling people about Jesus. And then there was like this supportive wave where when people had to flee Jerusalem, now maybe some more people that were from Rome that actually stuck around a little bit longer because they were loving what was happening, they probably left and now went back to Rome. So this is where we see the church of Rome kind of coming from and why this is important or why I want to go through this is because it explains why Paul writes his letter the way he writes it because see when Paul starts out the letter and if you look right at the beginning there in chapter 1 and when Paul talks about you know the gospel and he talks about his longing to go see them Paul was basically saying listen I want to come see you because I've heard of your faith we've heard of what you're doing we've heard of the power of God in the church of Rome but we want to I want to come and I want to make sure that we understand the gospel correctly in fact if you look at the entire book of Romans the entire book of Romans is one of the, the it's a beautiful detailed going deep explanation of the gospel Basically, Paul is like, I'm going to pick the gospel apart from beginning to end, and I'm going to make sure that we understand what the gospel is, what it means to us, what, what it means to the world, what it means to the Jews, the power of it, the significance of it. That's why if you look at the very beginning of Romans, Paul is gospel-focused right from the beginning. Right from the beginning, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Right in the beginning, he lays out the truth of the gospel. And then he says this amazing thing where he says, he, he gets to this point where he says, listen, this is why I want to come to you. He's like, I want to come to you. <laughs> Stupid thing. I want to come to you because he says, I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Paul's like, listen, I know you have faith. I know that you're following Jesus. I know that God's using you, and the world has heard about you. And, and he's like, I know that, but I still want to come preach the gospel to you. So Paul's whole purpose here is he wants to make sure that these Christians in Rome really, truly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Romans is this very detailed process through what the gospel is. And then, so we have this in verse 15, but then Paul goes one step further and he lays the foundation, right? He lays the foundation for the rest of the gospel. He's talking to these Christians and he says, listen, he says, I am not ashamed of this gospel. This is one of the most powerful statements that Paul makes at the beginning of Romans. He's like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he reminds them, and he tells them, and he makes it sure that they understand this, that it's the gospel that is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. He lays the foundation of the rest of the letter. He's saying, listen, I am not ashamed of this gospel. It is the power of the gospel that saves us. And now I'm going to take the rest of this letter, I'm going to take the rest of this book, and I'm going to explain to you why this is true. 
This is the foundation of the beginning of Romans and why he's giving to us. And then Paul begins his process through the gospel. So, here's the thing this morning. Um, we're going to cover the bad news of the gospel. See, we're going to cover the bad news. Uh, and, and, and I thought it was funny when, you know, uh, I got this week because I'm like, great, let's, let's, I get the bad news. Who wants, I mean, who doesn't love getting up here talking about God's wrath? Right, right? Like, like, let's talk about God's wrath. Let's talk about God's judgment. Let's talk about God being angry and, and taking and, and how He feels about all this. Um, but here's the thing: we can't celebrate, we can't embrace, we can't see the significance of the good news until we first accept the reality of the bad news. Right. And here's why this is important. This is why Paul starts here. This is why Paul starts with the bad news. It's because it's no different if you go to a doctor and the doctor tells you that you, you know, it's like you have a sickness. And to be able to cure this sickness, he gives you the list of things that you have to do in order to cure yourself of this sickness. Here's the deal. If the doctor does not make us understand the, the seriousness of the situation, none of us are going to follow the process to be able to be cured from it. Right? I had a moment years ago where we were still in Missouri and I had to go to the doctor for something. And it was for some serious health issues. And he did the test and I, he, he did all the tests. And I walked back in after the tests were done. This is a week later. In fact, this was the funny part. He got the test results back and we were back, actually back visiting family here in Iowa. I get the phone call and it's the nurse. And she's like, the doctor would like to see you immediately tomorrow. And I'm like, I, I can't, I'm in Iowa. She's like, the fir very first thing you do when you get back in the state is you come see us. I'm like, cool, that's never good news. So I remember walking in, and I'm sitting in the office, and my wife was with me, and Libby was with me. We didn't have Piper yet. Libby was still very young. I think she was probably only about a year old. We're all sitting in the doctor's office. The doctor walks in, and he opens the door, and he sees me, and then he turns, and he sees Amy and Libby. He says, good. He's like, I love the fact you brought your family because I want them to hear the seriousness of this because you're not going to do it unless she makes you do this. And I'm like, great. There's great news number two. And then he goes through the process of telling me what was going on and what I, needed to do to fix, what I needed to do to fix it. But here's the deal. I didn't like hearing the bad news. Who likes hearing the bad news? Nobody. But you got to hear the bad news because if you don't get the seriousness of the situation, you're not going to do anything. You're not going to accept the good news. You're not going to accept what you have to do in order to change the bad news. And that's what Paul does. He takes the very first three chapters and he lays out some very bad news. And that's what we're going to start with this morning, is we're going to look at some bad news of the gospel, but we're going to turn it around before we're done, and we're going to see some good news. So, the first thing he starts with is, Paul starts with God's wrath. That's a lovely thing to start with, but he says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he says, listen, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. All right, so Paul's laying out the beginning. He's like, listen, we've got to talk about God's wrath. See, when, when the Bible's talking about God's wrath, what it's talking about here is it's talking about God's emotional state towards the situation. Basically, what Paul is saying is God is angry. He's furious. He, he's not just frustrated. God is angry. The anger of God is being revealed towards all godlessness and wickedness. That's what Paul is saying here. God, the almighty God of creation, 
the holy God of the universe, Paul is laying it out. He's like, listen, God is angry. And, and he's laying that out right from the very beginning. And again, I'm not going to go through this bit by bit. You need to read this. Uh, I, I'm going to pull some stuff out of it, but I encourage you to go back and read it because then Paul goes into some, some examples, reasons why God is angry. He gives some examples or he shares these are the types of people that are out there that are making God angry. This is the godliness that God is angry about. And the thing is, is Paul doesn't, he, later on, he, he brings out some examples of sin. But he's a little broader here when he starts talking about this. And the first thing that Paul says is, God is angry because there are people in this world that are denying him. He, he's like, there are people in this world that are denying him. And what I mean by that is Paul talks, starts talking about people that have all of creation around them. They see all the wonderful works of God, but yet they deny almost his very existence and we see that in the world today right we see people that are constantly saying God does not exist God is not real God is a construct of man's mind God is dead we have all of these people that try to push this atheistic attitude that deny the very existence of God now most of us I'm sure in this room right now are saying well I don't fall into that camp and I would agree with you, I have never stood up and ever thought that God does not exist. But can I challenge us with something? There are many times in my life that I live in such a way that I deny that God exists. There are ways and decisions that I can make that almost act as if there isn't a holy God that exists that I have chosen to follow and that I will someday stand before. There are ways that I can deny God exists in the way I choose to live my life. And that is something that I know that I have guilt over that, that God has shown me that in my actions at times and my thoughts at times. So Paul is laying out, listen, there are people that are denying the very existence of God, and that brings God's wrath. But then he says, listen, there's not just people denying the existence of God, there's people that ignore God. So now this is the realm that I think most of us live in. At least I know this is where I live a lot in my daily life and how I choose to live my life. Uh, when, I, when I fall into my sinfulness, that ignoring God. And what I mean by that is I don't deny the existence of God. I just, don't, I just pretend like he's not there. Like, I, I live my life like, okay, God, I'm going to leave the, the house today, and I'm just going to leave you at home, and I'm going to go do what i got to go do, and, and you just, I'm going to ignore your existence. I, I'm going to ignore that you're with me. I'm going to ignore that, you know, what your word says I'm supposed to do. I'm going to ignore that I'm supposed to be loving. I'm going to ignore that I'm supposed to forgive. I'm going to ignore that I'm supposed to serve people. I'm going to ignore all of these things because I just don't feel like doing those things, God. So I'm just going to ignore you. And here's the deal. I know the wrath that ensues when I ignore my wife. Imagine how frustrated and angry God gets when we ignore him. But can I, can I say this, and again, it's not a judgmental statement, it's a factual statement because we're human and we're sinful and, and we fall into this way too often, we get stuck in sin. Too many of us live our lives probably in this realm where we ignore God. We know God's calling us to do something, or we know God's calling us to, to change in some way. We know God's there and he's speaking, but we just, I, I'm not listening right now, God, I don't want to listen right now. Maybe someday I'll listen. And, and, and Paul's talking about, he's like, quit ignoring God. Quit pushing him aside. That is, he's, the, he's the almighty God of the universe. 
and, and we have no right to ignore. And the last group of people that, that Paul throws out here is, is not just those that ignore God, but then he starts talking about those that literally reject God. Now there's a difference here because those of us that say, well, isn't denying, rejecting God? Well, yes, but the problem is, is when you think about this, or the, the way I want you to see this, is those that deny God, they are rejecting him, but they don't really see it that way because you can't reject someone you don't believe exists in the first place. You get what I'm saying? In their minds, they're not like, I'm not rejecting him, I just don't believe in him. I don't think he exists. So you can't really reject someone that you don't want to believe in. But what I'm talking about here are those people that we know God exists. We've experienced the presence of God. We have experienced the existence of God. But for whatever reason, we have moved on to complete and utter rebellion against him. Like, I know the truth. I know what God, who God is. I know what God wants of me. I've heard the gospel. I know these things. I've had it in front of me all of my life, but I am choosing to reject it in its entirety. I want nothing to do with you. And, God is, and, and Paul's telling us here by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he's like, listen, these are the types of people that are in the world today. Those that deny his existence. Those that ignore him in their lives. And then those that are just flat out rejecting him. And here's the thing, I'm sure everybody in this room knows somebody that's rejecting God. And I had seasons in my life where I rejected God. I want nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do with church. I want nothing to do with this gospel. I want nothing to do with anything that you want from my life or desire for my life. I want none of it. I had my season where I went through that. Can I just say real quick, it's amazing that even though I reject God and others reject God, God never rejected me. Praise God. But these are the people that Paul is laying out. He's like, listen, you got those that say I don't exist. You got those that don't pay attention to me. And you got those that just won't obey me or want anything to do with me. And this is where Paul is saying, this is where the wrath of God is being revealed. This is godlessness. This is wickedness. These are people that are suppressing the truth. And this is where Paul's starting with is saying, listen, the wrath of God is being revealed. The anger of God is being revealed. Now, here's the deal. How can Paul say that the wrath of God is being revealed? Well, this is the beauty of the gospel. Here's the deal. Those that do not accept Jesus are going to experience the wrath of God. But here's the, th here's the thing. At this moment, when we think about the gospel, the reason Paul can say that the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness is because God just poured out his wrath on his son. I mean, Paul's getting ready to talk about Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus and the atonement of Jesus. And Paul's saying, listen, God's wrath is real, and we know that because it was just revealed because he poured it out on his own son at the cross. So he's starting with the bad news, but he's also talking about good news. Because he's saying, listen, we don't have to experience the wrath of God. We don't have to experience the judgment of God and the anger of God towards godlessness because he just poured that out on Jesus. And he's going to start going further into this as he goes deeper into what the gospel is. So he starts talking about God's wrath. Again, that's that anger. That's that God is angered by sin and by godlessness and wickedness. And the next thing he goes into then is God's judgment. So Paul goes even deeper. He's like, listen, God's not only angry, God's going to do something about it. God's not only angered by godlessness, God's not only angered by wickedness, God's going to judge it. And one of the statements that Paul makes in Romans chapter 2, verse 6 is, God will give to each person according to what he has done. 
can I, can I, can we just stop for a second, take a deep breath, and agree with one another <laughs> that that's an extremely scary statement. And, and here's the thing I want to say to us. Paul, I'm not going to lighten this, and I don't want to, we're not sugarcoating anything this morning. Paul's wanting to scare, I mean, Paul's like, listen, this is how serious this is. This is the severity of this. God is going to give to each person according to what he has done. Not only that, Paul goes on later in Romans, and he starts talking about the things that are even done in secret. Can I, can I just pause? I was thinking about this last night. I was at home. You know, my wife and kids are gone this weekend. They're off visiting family. And, and here's the deal. When you're home alone, you know, it's like you kind of have this idea, like, I don't, I don't have to really do anything, right? Like, the things I would normally do when my wife's there, I don't have to do. I don't have to clean up nothing. I don't have to, you know, I do. She's coming home today. I'll clean. But I don't have to do it right that moment because I'm not stupid. But I don't have to do it at that moment, right? It's in secret. None of you all, nobody knew what was going on in my house over the weekend. It's in secret. But God says, listen, there's no such thing as in secret when it comes to me. I know everything. I know every thought that's gone through your head. I've known every action that you've ever done that you thought nobody was ever paying attention to. I know everything from the moment you came into existence until the day you die. I know all of it. And then Paul says, and God will give to each person according to what he has done. So what Paul is trying to do here with the bad news is he's trying to get us to the place, listen, hear me on this, he's trying to get us to the place of hopelessness. And what I mean by that is he's basically saying, quit relying on you. Because if you rely on you, you're in some deep trouble. Because if you take all the things that I've ever done in life, I do not want to stand in front of a holy God on my own. Ever. Paul's laying out the foundation of why we desperately need Jesus. In fact, what's interesting when you start looking at Romans chapter 2 and he starts talking about the judgment of God, Paul goes a little bit deeper in, in explaining the judgment of God. Three different times... In chapter 2, Paul makes a reference to God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. Now, I want to challenge this just for a moment. Those of us that might read chapter 2, if you've ever read chapter 2, and you read this where it says God gave them over, I want to challenge you, don't read that like, yeah, he gave all those people over. He's, he's talking about all of us. In sin, in our hopelessness, in God's wrath, in God's judgment, Paul is laying it out that God gave us over. And he says, this is what he gave us over to. He says, God gave us over to the sinful desires of our hearts. God gave us over to our shameful lust. God gave us over to a depraved mind. So let's explain what Paul is saying there. What Paul is saying there is simply this. Because of our sinfulness, because of our ungodliness, because of our wickedness, God looks at us and he says, listen, I am going to hand you over. Basically, it's like God's like saying, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to hand you over to it. He's basically saying this is consequences. In our sinfulness, God is handing us over to our consequences. 
He's saying, if that's the way you want to live, then I'm going to let you live the fullness of that, and you're going to discover that at the end of it, you don't want it. He's like, if you want to ignore me, I'm going to let you live that out and see what happens. If you want to deny me, I'm going to let you live that out and see what happens. If you want to reject me, I'm going to let you live that out and see what happens. See, this is one of those things I want to challenge us with also, because I've been guilty of this, where I've rejected God, or I've ignored God, or I've denied God, and I end up in a place that I don't want to be, and guess who the first person is that I blame? God. Well, God, if you loved me, why would I be here? God, if you loved me, why would you let this happen? God, if, and this is where Paul's basically saying, listen, you can't blame God, because God just gave you over to what you wanted. If you want the lust of your heart and the, the, the depraved mind, if you want these things, God's saying, hey, go, I'll, I'll let you have it. And we'll see where you'll end up. See, this is one of the greatest things about parenting. And again, God is referred to as our father, so sometimes parenting is a good way to look at him. One of the best lessons that we can treat or teach our children at some point in times in their lives is if they don't want to listen and they're doing something stupid, it's like, all right, go see what happens. Because then maybe you'll learn and you'll see that I'm not trying to dictate over you. I'm not trying to control you. I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to guard you. I'm trying to keep you to be the person that I created you to be. That's what God says to us. He's like, listen, I'm trying to draw you out of this life because I want you to be the person I created you to be. But if you're not going to listen to me, if you're not going to follow me, then I'm going to let you learn your lesson. Go, go learn that lesson. It doesn't mean God turns his back on us. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. It doesn't mean that God isn't right there with us. But what it means is God lets us discover the consequences of our sin. And here's the thing. Hear me on this. I would rather learn the consequences of my sin on this side of eternity and learn from it and change from it and get back in line with him than go through all of my life and then stand before him in eternity and never learn the consequences of my sin. Because at least on this side of eternity, I can do something about it. On that side of eternity, I can't. So can I, can I encourage us also with another thought? Because I know there's people in this room that you're probably very loving and you want to help people and you want to be there for people. And sometimes we kind of rush in there when we see the consequences of people's sins and we want to try to fix it. Here, sometimes you need to just say, no, you got to learn from that. Because God's awesome and he loves you and he's trying to get through to you. But anyways, this is what Paul's talking about. So here's the deal. When Paul says God gave us over to these things, he says that because of this, this is again in chapter 2. He says because of this, when God gave us over to our sinfulness, when we're found in that judgment and that wrath of God, we are handed over to wickedness such as, and he, he, start list, he, he lists words. He says evil and greed and depravity. And, and he says and envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. Now when I hear all those words, I feel pretty good because I'm like, you know what, I don't, I don't see myself in that all that much. You know, I don't, I don't see myself as a person of strife or or deceit, uh, or malice, or even depravity, or greed. But then all of a sudden, Paul says this. We're gossips. Anybody here got a problem with gossip? Really ask yourself, you got a problem with gossip? Anybody here gossip? Nobody wants to own up to it. There are people in this room that are gossips. In fact, I'm going to be really blunt. Everybody in this room is guilty of gossip. <laughs> I don't care who you are, how good you think you are about not talking about it. You, everybody in this room has talked about somebody. We're gossips. 
In fact, gossip is one of the worst things that you'll ever find in a church. Can I be really blunt about it? One of the things that really kills churches is gossip. Because you know what happens when you have people that are gossips? I can't trust you, and you can't trust me. If I can't trust you and be open with you and be honest with you and share with you my struggles and my hurts and my fears and my, my desires and my dreams, if I can't do that without knowing that you're going to turn around and share that with somebody else, how can, I, how can we trust each other? If you can't trust me, and I'm not, here's the deal, I'm not trying to say I don't trust you. I'm saying this is where Satan likes to get in there and get gossip going in the church. Because he knows it will destroy the church. Because if we're not unified together, that's how he can get in there. He goes on, gossips, slanderers, right? Like, I'm going to talk about so-and-so, and I'm going to make them look bad. God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. I love this. They invent ways of doing evil. Like, they're not even, they're not even satisfied with the normal ways of doing evil. It's like, we're going we're gonna to invent some new ones. Let's go find some new ways to live out our ungodliness. And then I love this one. He just, it's just so random, but it's, they disobey parents. I love what Paul's doing here. Paul is laying out sinfulness, and he's not just keeping it up here with these ones that we would call the biggies. He's bringing it down like, hey, we're all guilty of this. We've all disobeyed authority. We've all spoken and disobeyed our parents. I don't care how old you are. If you, I, I still disobey my parents now. But we all do it. Senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This is what Paul's laying out. So this is all the bad news. And then he goes a little bit further because he starts, again, Paul's ripping our hope away from us. And I say that because we're going to get to hope. But Paul just keeps ripping hope away. Because he's got to. He's got to strip everything away that we hold on to to try to make it good for us. Because then he goes on while he's talking about this, and, he, and he's saying all this, and then he, he's like, I'm going to steal from us some of the ways that we think we can deal with this on our own. And the first thing he does is he says, listen, you, can't, you cannot rationalize your way out of being stuck in sin. Right? So what Paul says is, is that there's people, and, and they, they ask this question, well, if our righteousness brings out God's righteousness, or if our unrighteousness is what it be, should be, it brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That it's unjust in bringing his wrath on us? That God is unjust in doing this? So basically what Paul's saying is you can't rationalize your way out of sin, meaning you can't start, and there was probably people that were saying this during his time, of like, well, hey, when I'm, when I'm being unrighteous, when I'm sinning, that just brings more glory to Jesus because it just shows how forgiving he is. That's what he's saying. Like, the more I sin, the, the better it makes, it makes Jesus look because if he's so loving and gracious that he still forgives me, then that just brings more glory to him. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, we try to rationalize it. And, and some of us are guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. You know, one of the number one ways that I try to rationalize my sin in my life is I try to do the, the scale, right? Yeah, I know I shouldn't do that, Lord, but look at all the good stuff I do. Right? Look at all the good stuff I do. Doesn't the good stuff I do, doesn't that outweigh the bad stuff? Well, God, I'm a good person, ain't I? I mean, another way I try to rationalize my sin. I never say this if I'm using it as an example. Lord, I'm a lot better than Matt. I mean, have you seen that guy? I mean, have you seen some of the things he does? I mean, if you can love him and forgive him, and, and, and he's, I'm, I act better than he does. So, so obviously I'm good with you, right? Because compared to 
all of these people or this person or that person, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. We try to rationalize it. Paul is stripping that away from us, and he's saying you can't rationalize, you can't rationalize your way out of sin. Knock it off. You can't do it. You can't find the loophole. I don't know about you, but I'm a person that loves to try to find the loophole. I love loopholes. Love them. Right? Love them. We just had one today, actually. It was really funny. Matt was gone. Pastor Matt was gone. And I made a comment to him. Hey, where, where's the order of service? Because we were trying to figure that out. And he's just like, dude, it was your responsibility to do the order of service. And yeah, whatever. Um, that was kind of my thought. <laughs> okay. Um, and anyways... And then we were talking about switching the order of service. And then we were joking, but Malia makes this comment, like, well, I'm going to send this email, like, about us messing up the order of service. And I was like, loophole, you can't send the email because I didn't do one, so you can't be mad at me for messing up the order of service that I never did in the first place. And she kind of looked, she just kind of, ha, ha, you're funny. It's like, but it's a loophole. You can't, be, you can't be mad at me. It's something I didn't do in the first place. So loopholes, but that's what we try to do, right? We try to reason our way out of sin, and we try to make loopholes. I'm going to give you another loophole that most of us at some point in time have probably done. If the world says it's okay, then it must be okay. If the majority of people in the world say it's okay, then it must be okay. When God's word blatantly says that it's not. Well, everybody else is doing it. Other people have done it and gotten further in life. You know, you know what I'm saying? We try to rationalize it. We try to say it must be okay because God hasn't judged them for doing it, so it must be okay for us to do it, whatever it is. So there's another way that we rationalize it. So we cannot rationalize our way out of being stuck in sin. The second thing that Paul does is we cannot use religion as our way out of being stuck in sin. Because the next thing he says in, in chapter 3 is he says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. So he's stealing this other objection like, well, hey, I'm okay because I'm religious. Being religious does not get us unstuck from sin. And what I mean by religious is, hear me now, it doesn't matter if you attend church every Sunday. If you're still stuck in sin Monday through Saturday, it don't matter. Right? We, we try to do religious things to get us out of being stuck in sin. Like, Lord, I know I shouldn't have this sin in my life, or I know I shouldn't be following this sin, or I feel stuck in this sin, so I'm just going to read the Bible more, and I'm going to read the Bible more, so that's going to get me unstuck, because they're going to unbalance each other. God's like, no, it doesn't work that way. You have to deal with the sin. So you can't use religion as a way to get free from sin. So now let's start talking a little bit about the hope stuff. Paul's laid out God's wrath. God's, uh, Paul's laid out God's judgment. God's, or, or Paul's laid out that you can't rationalize and use... Re, or, re, re, uh, I'm getting tongue-tied. Talking too fast. I'm talking too fast. I got told by somebody I talk too fast. It's like I get excited and I can't help it. Because God is awesome. And how can you not get excited when you get to the good stuff? Right? So we're going to get to the good stuff. We can't, we can't do anything about our sin is basically what Paul's getting us to. He's like, listen, here's the bad news. You can't get yourself out of sin, but let's turn the page here a little bit and let's get to the good stuff because while you can't get yourself out of sin, you can't get yourself unstuck. God can because God is faithful. And Paul starts talking about God's faithfulness. And he says, listen, he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Parentheses there, my words. For all have sinned and fallen short, they got stuck. All of us have gotten stuck. 
And he goes on, he says, and are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. It's this statement that Paul says very quickly, and he's going to elaborate on it as he goes through Romans. But what Paul is basically saying is, you are absolutely hopeless when you are stuck in sin, but guess what? God is awesome, and he took care of it. And for the rest of this letter, I'm going to tell you how he took care of it. Because uh, I want you to understand this, and I want you to know this. That's why we should get excited about this. So here's, here's the scenario I want to do. So here, here's my question. My question for us is this. Let's get to some good stuff here. For, here's my question. Who needs to get unstuck this morning? And I ain't asking for raising a hand. I want you to ask yourself this question. Who needs to get unstuck? I was wrestling with this sermon because I just felt like it was a bunch of information. I'm like, God, how do we make this real? Like, what do we, how do we make this, like, relatable, and what do we do with it? And this is what came to mind last night. So we're going to talk through this. Who needs to get unstuck? Because here's where we need to start. We need to acknowledge our place, right? We need to acknowledge what we're wrestling with. We need to acknowledge if we're stuck or not. And here's the deal. <laughs> Anybody here that's like, well, I don't know if I'm stuck or not. If you're questioning whether you're stuck or not, you're stuck. Okay? Because I'm pretty sure I know when I'm stuck. Okay? And a lot of us, we fall into this temptation of, so, like, I was at the fair. Remember the fair this year was kind of muddy? This, this couple got stuck at the fair, and we went over to help them get, and I'm guilty of this. You ever been stuck in a vehicle, but you think you're not stuck because you can move, like, an inch this way and an inch this way? It's like, I got it. I'll get it. You just, you just keep back and forth, back and forth. It's like, I ain't stuck because I can still move. It's like, no, you're stuck. <laughs> Knock it off because all you're doing is going deeper. Here's the deal. You know whether you're stuck or not. You know whether you got baggage of sin or not. You know when you're in a place where God's saying, that's not where I want you. You know whether you're stuck or not. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask Matt, Pastor Matt, to come up, because I want to do a little illustration, and hopefully it helps us here. It helps me. When I think about this, it helps my mind. Hopefully it'll help you. So I'm going to have you stand over there. He asked if he could bring his coffee, and I said yes. So... Hopefully this makes sense. And it'll get us to understand this. And then we're going to spend some time in worship. And we're going to do some work together. And we're going to get unstuck. So here's the thing. We put a lot of emphasis on faith, right? We are saved by faith through grace. Okay, I'm going to make a statement that's going to sound like it's against Scripture, but it's not. So bear with me just for a second because I'm going to explain this. So, so nobody jump like, oh my goodness, he just said that's against Scripture. And it's really not. We are saved by faith, but I can, can I, hear me on this for a second. Your faith, <laughs> I'm going to explain this. Here, your faith isn't what actually saves you. Process with me, okay? Because somebody's just like, wait a minute, I can quote scripture, right? Because here's what I mean by this. All of us have faith. We all have faith. And when I say it's your, it's not necessarily your faith that saves you, is because the problem is I can put my faith in anything, Right? I can put my faith in people. I can put my faith in the church. I can put my faith in my wife. I can put my faith in myself, right? I can put my faith in anything. 
So it's not necessarily my faith that saves me, because if I put my faith in a person to save me, like if I'm living my life saying, well, you know what, my mom and dad were Christians, so I must obviously be a Christian, so my faith is in the fact that this all kind of flows downhill, so I'm trusting that I grew up in a Christian home, so I must be saved, so I'm good with God. My faith is in a lie, and my faith isn't going to save me. So we all have faith in something. But that doesn't mean your faith is going to save you. Now, here's the thing that I mean. Faith is important, but it's not your faith that saves you. It's who you put your faith in that saves you. Matt's going to play God for me. He really liked it when I told him that, too. Okay. We're gonna show, I'm going to show you a couple things here. So let me explain this, what the rope rep- represents. Okay. Sooner or later, you've got to quit giving me more. Okay, there you go. Here's what the rope represents. The rope represents my faith. Okay, your faith. This is my faith, right? Maybe I had it in a person. Maybe I had it in money. Maybe I had it in the stock market. Maybe I had it in religion. Maybe I had it in all these other things. But sooner or later, I'm going to get my faith where it needs to be, and I'm going to put it in Jesus. Right? Like, here's my faith. Now, this is what I want you to understand for a minute. This is how we see getting unstuck. And this is where we're wrong. I throw my faith to Jesus. He has my faith. I put my faith in Jesus. I'm still kind of stuck in my sin here, right? I'm still dealing with sin. This is where we get wrong. You just hold on to the rope. Nice and tight. Pretend like we're, like he's above me, right? He's above me. This is what I do. I'm stuck in my sin. I've put my faith in Jesus, and then I start thinking it's my job to pull myself out. This is where you hear comments like, you just got to have more faith, right? Just got to have more faith. Pull, it's my job to pull myself out. Can I challenge you with something? When you fall into the trap that you think it's your job to pull yourself out of sin, this is where you're going to fail, you're going to get tired, you're going to get discouraged, and you're going to give up. Because here's the deal. I can't pull myself out of this junk. I can't get myself unstuck. Every time I try, I might do well for a while, but then I always fall back right back into it. Does this relate to anybody? This is how it actually works. I give Jesus my faith, and then he pulls me out. (laughs) This is called backsliding. We're not done. We're not done. We're not done. Hold on. <laughs> Jesus, just stay right there. Um, so this is, this is one of the things I want to challenge us with. So, so everybody in this room, some of us have been doing this our whole life. And you've had some victory, and then you slide back. You've never lost your faith, but you've just been this constant, a little bit of progress, you slide back. A little bit of progress, you slide back. Because you thought it was your job to get yourself unstuck. It's not your job to get yourself unstuck. That's the whole point of the gospel. It's his job to get you unstuck. My job is to throw in my faith. And not to spread it out saying, well, I'm going to give a little bit to Jesus, but I'm going to give a little bit to you and you and you. No, you have my faith, and you're going to pull me out. Now, I want you to see something else just for a moment. A little bit more of a visual here. I'm going to say this real quick. I'm really thankful my wife is into 31 bags. 
because I could find a bunch at the house. So here's the deal. I'm going to ask, just because he brought me the rope, Jim, I'm going to have you be my other illustration. He didn't know this, so I need you up here. You're strong and strapping. Am I good? No, you're still here. I, I, <laughs> really? Jesus tried to walk away. Really? All right. So here's what I need you to do, Jim. I need you to carry all that. Like, see, all that. I need you to have, like, like you know, here, I mean, here, you know, let's put some on the arms. Like, put it up. We're grocery shopping. Okay. We're doing it. Okay. You good? Okay. I don't know where you want that. You want that right there? All right. All right. Now, here's the deal. Here's your face. Okay. Hold on to that face. Okay. All right. So, here's the deal. Here's the imagery I want you to get. Jim's put his faith in Jesus. Right? Jim's wanting to get pulled up with Jesus and get closer to Jesus. But this is all Jim's junk. It's his sin, right? This is the stuff that he's not dealt with. This is the stuff that he's not, you know, he's not able. So here's the deal. How easy do you think it's going to be for Jesus to be pulling Jim if Jim's carrying all that junk? See, here's the deal. Jesus will still pull, but it's not going to be a very good road. It's not going to be a very healthy road. And can I challenge this just for a moment? They're empty, so you're good, right? Okay. Um, here's the deal. This is how I think most of us are living our lives. I think most of us have thrown our, our faith to Jesus. And Jesus desperately wants to get us unstuck. But here's the thing. It's not that Jim is burdened by sin. It's that Jim is still carrying his sin. Do you see this? He's carrying his sin. He's carrying his unforgiveness, his hatred, his anger, his lust, his whatever. Put it on the list. He's carrying, he's choosing to carry it. This don't work this way. And I want us to see that from Scripture just for a second. And, and then I want you to see the analogy here. So, listen to what Scripture says. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Does that not look like sin that weighs us down and sin that trips us up. Those of us that feel stuck, this is what we look like spiritually. Now here's the good news, and then I'm going to be done, and we're going to worship for a while. Paul says this in the first chapter of Romans. He says, listen, the righteous live by faith. So let me give you an example of what that looks like. Jim, do you want to carry your sin? So what do you want to do with it? Set it down. So set it all down. He's letting it go. He's confessing it. He's letting it. He's like, I don't want this anymore. I don't want it in my life. I don't want it to be part of me anymore. He's free and he's, he's unburdened. But here's the cool part. I thought about this this morning, this imagery. Hopefully this makes sense to you, but it, it didn't me. So hopefully this does. This is the image I got in my head. Jesus was like, listen, if you're willing to set down your sin, if you're willing to unburden yourself, if you're willing to get really serious about this gospel, if you're really, like, serious about this, to get unstuck, and you set it all down, no longer 
is your faith just going to be something you, you hold on to, right? This is, this is kind of the imagery, right? I'm holding on, Jesus, start wrapping that rope around you. Here's the imagery I want you guys to get. Picture this, just wrapping it around, just keep wrapping, I mean like all over. Just, not, not just the waist, all over, yeah, all over. Just, just keep wrapping that, dude, how hard is this? Here's the imagery that was going through my head this morning. When I set down my sin and I let go of all that, it gives me the ability to take even more hold of my faith. And my faith starts wrapping around me and it becomes everything to me. It starts encompassing all aspects of my life. It starts taking hold of every area of I am. It makes me more secure in who my faith is in and who my faith is about. It makes me more secure because here's the deal. When more of my hands are full of my faith, guess what I can't pick back up? Now, Jesus, start pulling him closer it becomes a whole lot easier to get pulled closer to Jesus because I'm all bought in with my faith is just surrounding me. Does this make sense? This is where I'm saying most of us are this morning. We're trying to get pulled closer to Jesus. We're trying to grow in our faith. We're trying to get unstuck, and we're carrying it with us. Like, I want you, Jesus, but I'm bringing all this with me. doesn't work that way. If we want to get unstuck, we got to let go. She's not here to see me drop her luggage. <laughs> we drop it, and when we do that, Jesus can pull us where we need to be. We get unstuck. So again, I'm, I'm done with you guys. I appreciate it. Jesus, you can go. So here's my question again. Who needs to get unstuck this morning? Who needs to get unstuck this morning? Who desires to get unstuck from this wrath and this judgment and this junk that just invades us and gets in the way and it keeps us from being pulled closer to Jesus? Who desperately wants to experience the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of Jesus that is calling us to himself? But it's not going to work if two things keep happening. If you think it's about you pulling yourself closer to Jesus, it's not going to work. And if you're not willing to dump all of the baggage, it's not going to work. So that's why I thought it would be really nice. Let's end with worship because let's not just do a quick song and then we're out of here. Let's spend some time for the next three, four songs. Let's get unstuck. Let's throw down some baggage. Let's... Say, Lord, I, I'm tired of this up and down, up and down. I want to be pulled to you. My faith is in you. My desire is in you. And I'm tired of this other junk, and I'm letting it go. So that's what I want to do. Let's do that for the next 20 minutes as we're worshiping. Let's, let's, let's do something this morning and not just say, hey, that's a cool, that's a cool analogy. That's, let's get unstuck. And whether you're carrying one baggage or you're carrying 50, it doesn't matter. We're called to carry nothing except our faith. The righteous live by faith. That's it. That's all I'm called to hold on to. That's all I'm called to strive for. The righteous live by faith. And again, it's not my faith that saves me. It's in the one that's pulling me up on the rope. 
It's his faithfulness that saves me. It's his faithfulness that transforms me. It's his faithfulness that always is there for me. Let's put our trust completely in the one that is faithful.